the Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be featuring Jeff Gamut from the Mac Observer. A little bit later, we'll hear from Rob Picarero. He writes for USA Today and Yahoo Tech. As you see, there's lots to talk about, including the case of the Steve Jobs biographies, authorized and otherwise, on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Jeff Gamut is back here, and we've got plenty to talk about. Of course, he hangs his hat over at the Mac Observer. Now, Jeff, did you read both of the Steve Jobs bios that have become so much discussion these days? You know, I think I'm actually in the minority because I never made it through the Isaacson book. I really tried, but I just lost interest in it. And I haven't had a chance to start the the new book, Becoming Steve Jobs. So I haven't made it to the end of either, believe it or not. Well, okay. So the Walter Isaacson book was the authorized one. That's the one where Jobs agreed to talk to this guy. Now, he was not a tech journalist. He was somebody who worked for Time Magazine, had written some biographies of famous people. So I suppose they he wanted or selected a mainstream writer who wasn't familiar with the industry to take on this task. Now, you tell me you couldn't get through the book or you just... I lost interest. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got about a third of the way through the book. And in retrospect, I think it may actually be Walter Isaacson's writing style that just kind of pushed me away. Because I wasn't having any problem at all with reading a book that that showed Steve Jobs as a flawed human, because he was a human. We all have flaws. I have no problem with that at all. And I did like the idea of reading something that didn't turn him into some sort of walking on water type of saint, because he wasn't. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, none of us are. I think, really, it was just the way Isaacson wrote the book. And uh, and I have a feeling, based on what I've heard from other people, I am really in the minority there. Okay. Now, in reading the Isaacson book, which called Jobs, which came out at the end of 2011, rushed out after Jobs died, that first third that you read, did you learn anything new about Jobs, or was it just the same old stuff? No, I really didn't learn anything that, that I didn't know already. And again, I'm probably in a minority there because I've been in this news market for so long. There was very little that was going to come up in, uh, in the parts that I read that would be new for me. But it was nice to see these things written by someone that was speaking directly with Steve Jobs. So I did appreciate that. And, uh, and, and it did bring a different perspective on who he was. Now, the big point to mention here is the fact that the previous books written about Steve Jobs or about Apple in general were done without Apple's cooperation, without the cooperation of Jobs. So in order to get those books prepared, they had to do independent research, talk to people sure. on background, convince people to talk to them, which obviously was difficult with Jobs' inner circle or his family. Right. But then the Isaacson book comes along. And this is the book where Steve Jobs went out and recruited Walter Isaacson to write the book. And he gave Walter unprecedented access to his personal life, took him along to official Apple events, and gave him access to people in in ways that he had never done before. 
and uh, and and I did find it interesting that even with all of that access, Walter still didn't get a lot of the interviews that would have been, I think, really useful for his book. What he ended up writing, I think, was a book based on the stories he was able to collect. So it, it was um, limited in some ways, simply because there were people that that weren't willing at the time to talk with him. Those people being? Uh, some, some of Apple's own executive staff. And then we have the big difference between that and Becoming Steve Jobs, the, the book that just came out this week, where Apple's executive team was uh, very open with the authors of that book. And that creates a different perspective on who Steve Jobs was. So we have these two books, very different takes on Steve Jobs, but I think both are equally valid. Now, that's the point here to mention, the new book, Becoming Steve Jobs. You get the impression here, this is Apple's decision to kind of sanitize the reputation of Steve Jobs. We know he's a big SOB, and those who met him briefly in public would agree to that. You know, he was a difficult guy, a brilliant guy, but difficult. And maybe they felt he was represented in too negative a fashion for the Isaacson book. But of course, they didn't say this right away. They waited three years, three and a half years to say this. Suddenly, Becoming Steve Jobs is announced. It's about to be published. And suddenly, we're hearing from Apple executives that they didn't like Isaacson's book. This is three or three and a half years later. They said nothing then that was negative. Which is very interesting. Uh, And it looks like they didn't want to talk with him at first, but then changed their mind. And I, it, it just feels to me like, like Apple's leadership chose to, to become involved in the book. Okay, so the, the Becoming Steve Jobs book, the, I, the Apple executive team, they weren't initially interested in participating in this book, but then later changed their mind. And my guess is that the reason they chose to do that is because on some level, they needed to have some form of vindication for themselves. And uh, they, they felt that they needed to defend their belief in, in who they saw as Steve Jobs. And that isn't the person that they felt was represented in the, uh, the Walter Isaacson book. So in a sense, some people feel this is a corporate spin job. And what you're saying may be the case. It's not that the book is necessarily inaccurate or doesn't present an accurate full body picture of Steve Jobs. But still, we have the corporation making a conscious decision to, in a sense, disavow the other book and favor this one. Right. And, uh, and that's really interesting. Apple's never done anything like this before. Uh, you know, yes, uh, several years ago, there was a, a biography about Steve Jobs that was published by Wiley Books, and Steve didn't like it, so he had all of Wiley's titles pulled from Apple stores. That, that, that's a different thing. What, what we're seeing here is Apple's executive team just coming out and endorsing a specific book, and then turning their their uh, their backs, in essence, on the book that Steve Jobs himself authorized, and th- 
the only book that Steve Jobs ever approved about his life is the one that Walter Isaacson wrote. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember. So Apple's executive team may not like the book that Walter wrote, but that's the book that that Steve told Walter to write, in essence. What, what he did was he said, take the information and write the book. Steve did not want to be involved in approving anything or editing anything. He just wanted Walter to have the information and, and to put the book together. And Steve did offer um, interviews or interview opportunities with his executive staff, but a lot of the people really weren't interested in doing that. Kind of interesting that they were happy to do it this time around. Well, there's also the fact that Jobs didn't see the finished book. He may have been perfectly happy with the interviews, but not seeing the final book and not having a say in what the final book was, well, that may be part of the problem, that he had one impression going in as to what was happening, and the book conveyed a different impression. So that's a point there to be considered. And the second thing is here, now as Apple is in its new generation with new leadership, they wanted to present an image of their co-founder that wasn't so negative. We've got more to say about this with Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. By now, you may have heard a bit about bitcoins. But did you know bitcoins are now over an $8.5 billion market? And did you know that over 65,000 businesses now accept bitcoins? Listen, if you're already earning bitcoins or trying to make money in the bitcoin market, you've got to know bidbit.co. Why? Because bidbit.co is where you can easily receive bitcoins by selling and auctioning off your own personal items or promote business products and services for bitcoins. You heard right. Whether personal or business, you can now buy, sell, and auction your product and service quickly, easily, and securely for Bitcoin at BidBit.co, the first and only marketplace website to offer BidBit escrow, a proprietary technology which gives buyers and sellers security and peace of mind because all transactions are protected. Start today. It's free to join, free to post, free to auction, and free to bid at BidBit.co. Buy, sell, bid, or auction everything Bitcoin. That's www.bidbit.co. BidBit.co. 
pick up the receiver. With your heart racing and sweat dripping from your forehead, you finally muster the courage to dial the number to call into your favorite talk radio show. It rings once, twice, and then... Hello, it's GCN. What's your name and the state you're calling from? Surprised you got through, you squeak out. Jason from Minnesota. Please hold. As you patiently wait for your turn, you begin to daydream about being a famous talk radio host and what it would be like to have your own show. Jason from Minnesota, you're up. Millions of loyal listeners worldwide waiting to call and talk to you. Caller, are you there? Cheering crowds surround you, calling out your name. Jason! Jason! Going once, twice. Okay, we gotta move on to the next caller. You blew it. Huh? Wait, no! Interact with the hosts you're listening to right now online at GCNlive.com. Click on the community link. Engage with other listeners. Ask questions. Start debates. Don't agree with a host? Let them know. Be a part of the community at GCNlive.com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products, most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And speaking of reminders that we like to give you every episode, sometime back we started getting requests that maybe we could produce a version of the show with fewer ads. Now, as you know, with cable TV, when you do something like that, I don't want ads. You either fast forward through them or you get one of the premium channels like HBO and Showtime and Stars where you're paying a monthly fee. So we got permission from the network to remove the network ads, and we've added a monthly fee of $5 a month, 50 a year, $175 for five years of something called Tech Night Owl Plus. We give you higher quality audio, ad-free, Tech Night Owl Plus. To learn more about how to sign up, go to plus.technightowl.com, P-L-U-S.technightowl.com. Let me tell you, you know, it takes a few moments to work it out. It's not an easy way to handle this. It's not easy to do, but we found a way. Plus.technightout.com. We have Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer. We're talking about the case of the dueling Steve Jobs bios. Jobs by Walter Isaacson and Becoming Steve Jobs, the Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader by Brent Schendler and Rick Tetzeli. Rick Tetzeli. Now, I'm looking at how to spell those names because... 
these are people you might not have heard of, but, you know, they work for places like Wall Street Journal. And in the case of Schender, he interviewed jobs over a period of 25 years. So he knew the guy, not being a hired gun to write a book with somebody who has written about technology for mm. many years. And maybe that's part of it right there, that Isaacson may be a skilled editor and maybe a skilled author, but he had no perspective in this industry. Maybe that's the problem with the book. See, I'm not sure there is a problem with Walter Isaacson's book. We're only I, assuming that the Apple spin machine is telling us there should be. Therefore, we're taking the, them at face value. I'm not because my encounters with Steve Jobs were very brief and did not in any material way differ from the impressions conveyed by anybody else who talks about Jobs. Yeah, there you go. And just because the book talks about uh, about some of his character flaws doesn't mean it's a bad book. The impression that I had for the part that I read before I just gave up is in line with with what I've heard other people say who did complete the the whole book, which is that uh, that it showed Steve Jobs as as a very strong man, a very driven man, and it was a, a very positive take on who he was, but it was also a realistic take. And it didn't try to candy coat any of his traits. And I think that's great that it was just very open and clear about who he was. I think instead of detracting from from Steve Jobs as a visionary, it adds to who he is. Maybe that's the problem. I don't know. You know, because remember here that the key executives being quoted in the new book, Tim Cook, people like Eddie Q, people like Jonathan Ive, they've known Jobs for many years, and not just on a professional level in their office, but somebody they became friends with, they visited families, that sort of thing. And therefore, they're going to see Jobs in a different light than we are. And they will see things about Jobs that aren't normally captured. So maybe there is that. But I think, in general, the best thing to do here, if you really want to know about Steve Jobs, read both books. Get a picture, a well-rounded picture. Understand that when a corporate executive, especially the new leadership at Apple, and they're remembering the Steve Jobs they knew several years ago, the positives may outweigh the memories because that's what they want to remember. They want to remember Jobs as being someone who was their close friend, someone they cared about, and they don't want to see the negatives. So if they can play down the negatives, it also works from a corporate point of view where wouldn't you like to convey the impression that your co-founder was, yeah, you know, he could be nasty at times, but fundamentally he was a caring family man and he didn't micromanage everything, maybe 90% of everything. I don't know. And he did change over the years too. Sure, as he got older. And a lot of that is getting married, having kids, being around the family, and that has to change things. And you wonder also what his wife did or said to influence his behavior. You know, you ever think that at night he came home to her and she said, why did you do that? Why did you say such a stupid thing? Why did you do such a foolish thing? And in a sense, tame him, calm him down. You never know. Just illness facing one's mortality. That changes a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the way people remember changes over time as well. So the the things that may have come out in interviews in a more negative light when Walter Isaacson was talking with people 
the, those have uh, mellowed over time. So now they don't seem quite as uh, as big of a deal as, as they would have several years ago. And uh, and really, why didn't these people talk with Walter Isaacson? Because they could have shared these same stories all those years ago. They chose not to. So in that sense, it's not it's not fair for them to say that uh, Isaacson wrote a bad book. He wrote the best book he could with all the information that he had available to him. As I said, I have not read the full book either. You read about a third of it. I will probably read the new book. But I know that some of the criticisms about the new book are with regard to so-called corporate spin control, an effort by one Boston newspaper suggesting that Apple is trying to deify Steve Jobs. I don't think I would go that far, but I think that Apple wants to have a a better overall perception from the public of who Steve Jobs is or was as a person. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think they're trying to deify him. That might be going too far. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Absolutely. Okay, well, the original book, Walter Isaacson, is called Jobs. The new book by Brent Schender and Rick Tetzeli. And I'm probably pronouncing their names wrong, and now they will never talk to me if I want to interview them. It's called Becoming Steve Jobs, The Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader. Don't you enjoy all these long subtitles in books, by the way? And I noticed that the pricing is curious. Pay attention to this. I'm looking at Amazon right now. The paperback from 2264. The hardcover is 1983. Why do you pay less for a hardcover of a book than for a softcover? You know, well, in this case, I think it's because the soft cover doesn't exist yet. I'm pretty sure it's available only in hardback, digital format, and audiobook. So my guess is that the from whatever price is uh, is like a, a, a pre-pricing sort of thing, knowing that eventually it will be in paperback. But yeah, it's weird. Well, I'm looking at it right now, and it said this item is only available from third-party resellers. See all offers. And I'm looking here. And I wonder just what they're talking about. Because as you say, if there's only a hardcover version and no official softcover version, are these non-existent? We have someone who does exist. His name is Jeff Gamut from the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. I think I exist. This is the Tech Night Out Live. We are America's largest independently owned communications network, GCN. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just 19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV
pick up the receiver. With your heart racing and sweat dripping from your forehead, you finally muster the courage to dial the number to call into your favorite talk radio show. It rings once, twice, and then... Hello, it's GCN. What's your name and the state you're calling from? Surprised you got through, you squeak out. Jason from Minnesota. Please hold. As you patiently wait for your turn, you begin to daydream about being a famous talk radio host and what it would be like to have your own show. Jason from Minnesota, you're up. Millions of loyal listeners worldwide waiting to call and talk to you. Caller, are you there? Cheering crowds surround you, calling out your name. Jason! Jason! Jason. Going once, twice. Okay, we gotta move on to the next caller. You blew it. Huh? Wait, no! Interact with the host you're listening to right now online at GCNlive.com. Click on the community link. Engage with other listeners. Ask questions. Start debates. Don't agree with the host? Let them know. Be a part of the community at GCNlive.com. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV By now, you may have heard a bit about Bitcoins. But did you know Bitcoins are now over an $8.5 billion market? And did you know that over 65,000 businesses now accept Bitcoins? Listen, if you're already earning Bitcoins or trying to make money in the Bitcoin market, you've got to know BidBit.co. Why? Because BidBit.co is where you can easily receive Bitcoins by selling and auctioning off your own personal items or promote business products and services for Bitcoins. You heard right. Whether personal or business, you can now buy, sell, and auction auction your product and services quickly, easily, and securely for Bitcoin at BidBit.co, the first and only marketplace website to offer BidBit escrow, a proprietary technology which gives buyers and sellers security and peace of mind because all transactions are protected. Start today. It's free to join, free to post, free to auction, and free to bid at BidBit.co. Buy, sell, bid, or auction everything Bitcoin. That's www.bidbit.co. BidBit.co. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. We're back. When we discuss the laws of existence, we, of course, cover our other radio show, The Paracast, about UFOs and things that go bump in the night, all right? Jeff Gammon of the Mac Observer is here, and we were talking briefly about the dueling case of the Steve Jobs bios, the authorized biography, the unauthorized biography because it was written after Steve Jobs died. Make your own decisions. Check out the sample pages at Amazon. See which book you like or read the reviews. Make your own choices as to what's going on. There's an anniversary this month. 
and maybe you didn't notice it, but 14 years ago, Apple introduced Mac OS X. It wasn't just OS X then, it was Mac OS X. And the first version, official release version, came out in March of 2001. But actually, ahead of that, there was a public beta the previous September. So maybe it is, Jeff, that OS X is really 14 and a half years old? Well, yes, but... But I think if you if you look at what it is, it's even older than that, because it it really started life at Next, and uh, and then became the OS ten that we know today, after Apple bought Next, and then they they started taking Next OS and reworking it into what eventually became OS ten. So in that sense, it's a lot older than fourteen or fifteen or twenty five. Or 25. Yeah, yeah. And then the the core that uh, that made up NextOS, I mean, that, that's built on top of FreeBSD, which is a version of Unix. So that goes back even farther. So so in one sense, we're dealing with, uh, with an operating system on the Mac that is several decades old. It just, uh, it, it just happens to have a, uh, a nice pretty front end that's been evolving over the past 14-ish years. Now, the first version had an interface called Aqua. Now, as opposed to what Microsoft does, they don't really have good names for interfaces. So they tried to call Windows 8 Metro, but they couldn't because they have Metro department stores in Germany. And I guess they didn't allow that. So they wanted to call it Modern UI. And I forget what they're calling the Google Lollipop interface because it's not memorable. But Aqua... Steve Jobs said you could lick it. And there's a story That's right. that made- he said it was lickable. Yes, he said it was lickable. And he might have even licked a computer once to show how lickable it was. Ooh, it doesn't sound very pleasant. I don't think I would want to do that. Yeah. What a big change from what we had before. Because, well, when we look back on that first release of OS X, it seems like a, like a very antiquated and almost childish operating system interface. But it replaced OS 9, which was uh, really just a continuation of the way the interface looked from the original Mac OS, like back in the days when when the original Mac, the 128K Mac, shipped. And you could have your operating system and all your applications on a single floppy disk. Those were the days. But now you can't even have one character on a single floppy disk. No, pretty much not. Yeah. And those characters got to be pretty slim. Yes, they do. Yeah. But wow, what a change because we had that, we had OS 10 as it looked back then, just dropped in our laps. And it's like, this is amazing. This is so futuristic. This, this looks so much cleaner and better than, than OS 9. And it's beautiful and it's shiny. And it feels like it's just coming out of the screen at us. You kind of feel that maybe Apple exaggerated those visual differences to separate the old from the new even more. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. And there, there were things that they could do with, the, with the, the graphic part of the interface that they couldn't easily do before. So they were taking advantage of that. Because when, when OS X was released, we had what was called Display PDF. And basically, the operating system became a PostScript rendering engine. 
And so there, there was a lot that you could do with PostScript for, uh, for making your graphics smoother than you could do with just the, the kind of raster pixel by pixel, uh, designs that we had for, for interfaces in OS nine and earlier. Now understand the original versions of OS 10, they didn't have graphics hardware acceleration. So it's sluggish. It took a while to build that into it, to build that into the OS. That's that's true. Yeah. And looking back on on OS 10 10.0 and then comparing it to what we have today, man, it just it it feels like we had an operating system that barely functioned back then. Well, and in, in many ways it did barely function. Printing when OS 10 first came out that was a gamble. Just wondering if, if you're actually able to print anything from, from day to day. Well, that was the situation early on. And Apple's solution actually was to acquire a Unix printing system called CUPS, the common Unix printing system. And that dates back to Jaguar, not Jaguar, as Steve Jobs called it. Uh-huh. Jaguar OS 10.2. And that came out in 2002. So for the first year or so, you know, it was very hard to print. In fact, for the early releases of OS 10, Apple didn't even make it the default operating system. You get OS 9 and OS 10 on the same drive, and you'd boot with whatever one you wanted. Now, if you wanted to run OS 9 within OS 10, you had the classic mode. Yep. And that, that was incredibly clever that they were able to figure out how to run OS 9 applications inside OS 10 and it worked. Uh, the the processors we had at the time were just so limited in, in comparison to what we have today, yet they were able to run a full-on emulator inside OS 10 that let us work with OS 9 applications and we could exchange data between the OS 9 and the OS 10 apps. It, I mean, that was flat-out remarkable. That was some serious engineering there. And this is an example of things that Apple does when they make architectural changes. So remember back in the 90s, if you still use the Mac then, and you had the first iteration of PowerPC Macs, and you had an emulator, so if you had something that ran on the older processor, it would still run with decent performance, but not great performance. And then when you came out with the Intel Macs, in 2006, you had Rosetta, and Rosetta mm-hmm. was a way to run your Power PC apps with good performance. Now, just to see how things went, with OS 10.4 Tiger, that was the last iteration of the classic environment. Now, Tiger was also the first operating system that had Rosetta emulation when they had the Intel version. So there were two Tigers. There was Tiger for Power PC and Tiger for Intel. That's right. Yeah, that that happened when we were going through the hardware transition. And I remember that was pretty scary for a lot of people because they they felt like Apple was selling out and going to the dark side because they were using PC processors. And the, the reality is they they had originally hoped that PowerPC would be the the way of the future because the at, at the time the architecture sure looked like it was going to let us do so much more than than we can do with Intel processors today. But uh, the, just that whole relationship between 
Apple and IBM and Motorola that made the PowerPC processor possible, that just fell apart. So we so we had that. Then this all of a sudden we're seeing Intel Macs, and we have these two versions of OS ten, and it was kind of a, a crazy, tumultuous time trying to figure out what was actually going to stick with Apple. And and of course, it turns out, well, Intel processors were definitely the way of the future for Apple. And we have to look at where the power PC was when Apple decided in mid-2005 to go Intel and made that announcement over at the Worldwide Developers Conference. Let's go back to that in a moment. We have Jeff Gamut from the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> A little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. 
With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. By now, you may have heard a bit about Bitcoins. But did you know Bitcoins are now over an $8.5 billion market? And did you know that over 65,000 businesses now accept Bitcoins? Listen, if you're already earning Bitcoins or trying to make money in the Bitcoin market, you've got to know BidBit.co. Why? Because BidBit.co is where you can easily receive Bitcoins by selling and auctioning off your own personal items or promote business products and services for Bitcoins. You heard right. Whether personal or business, you can now buy, sell, and auction your product and services quickly, easily, and securely for Bitcoin at BidBit.co, the first and only marketplace website to offer BidBit escrow, a proprietary technology which gives buyers and sellers security and peace of mind because all transactions are protected. Start today. It's free to join, free to post, free to auction, and free to bid at BidBit.co. Buy, sell, bid, or auction everything Bitcoin. That's www.bidbit.co. BidBit.co. know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. Yeah, Jeff Gamut from the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. We're talking about the history of OS X, which began... In 2001, and I think that was a session where they first unveiled the OS as a release version where you didn't have elaborate decorations at the Apple headquarters. And so I was seated right behind Steve Jobs and Phil Schiller when they were both not on the stage. That's really cool. And I remember Jobs sneezes and I say, bless you. And he says, thank you. But he looks at me like, who is this crazy guy trying to be nice? That's awesome. And Jonathan Ive was sitting there, and one of the things they were advertising with OS X was the fact that you could wake a PowerBook. Remember, Apple had PowerBooks then before MacBooks. You could wake a PowerBook from sleep within seconds. So what he did is, Ive was sitting there, and he'd take a PowerBook, he'd open it up, and the thing awakens. And then he'd close it again, and he'd open it again. And that's what he was doing is people were looking around. Isn't that strange? Let's get back to what we were doing. I do remember one more thing about Mm -hmm. that session. So they have a question and answer session for the attended audience, for the journalists. And somebody asks Steve, is it true that Apple is discontinuing the Power Mac G4 Cube? This is the rumor because it wasn't selling very well. And Job says, you don't know what you're talking about. A few weeks later... The cube was discontinued, but Jobs yeah, being Jobs that? denied reality. Okay, let's get back to the point here. So, anyway, we get back here to kind of the history of OS X. But the Power PC, and one of the reasons Apple made the decision is that it was used mostly for embedded processors. Apple was the only PC company to actually use a Power PC. And they required so much cooling because they ran hot that a G5, a Power Mac G5, 
The most powerful versions had to have liquid cooling systems. So they'd run at normal temperature. Mm-hmm. Now, I had one of those, and I read those horror stories where if it starts to leak coolant, you need a new computer. I remember those stories. I never had one of the liquid cool G5s. I, by, by that point, I was working strictly from laptops. But I remember looking inside some of those computers and thinking, man, if something goes wrong in here, you are in serious trouble. And they were big and they were heavy and the cooling system was just so elaborate. In fact, that was part of the problem. You couldn't tame a G5 to run under low power and within a normal operating temperature so it could work with a notebook. And that was another key reason why Apple went to Intel because the new generation of core duo processors from Intel ran much cooler and they were more powerful. So Apple was able Mm -hmm. to get notebooks with the latest processors. You weren't stuck with G4 notebooks, which were dreadfully slow. Right. And yeah, and IBM didn't have any interest at the time in making truly mobile powered PC processors. And uh, and that was a big problem for Apple. It, it really did hold back their, their laptop product line in a bad way. So when they made that move to Intel, as scary as it was, it was the best thing they could have done because they, they were able to, to cut that dead weight and, uh, and start moving forward with the processors again. Had IBM and Motorola been willing to work with the processors in, a, in the way Apple was most interested in, we may be looking at a, or we could potentially be looking at a very different computing ecosystem today. Intel, in a sense, saved Apple. The other thing they were able to provide was fast emulation or virtual machines to run Windows on a Mac plus boot camp. So you could reboot under boot camp and run Windows at full speed, or you could run Windows at almost pretty good speed with Parallels Desktop and VMware Fusion and some other Mm -hmm. environments. So this was a big revelation because it made it easier for you to switch to a Mac. Oh, you still need to run PC software? Get Parallels Desktop for 70 bucks, and you can still do it with really, really good performance, which only got better over time. So that compatibility helped. Also helped in terms of Apple being able to use more industry standard parts. So they paid less for the parts, which also brought the price of Macs down. Right. And uh, and that was great because then they were uh, more competitive products overall. So r- really good power, uh, more, more competitive pricing. And all of a sudden you have this computer that's really enticing because you could run anything on it. Didn't matter if it was Mac software, if it was Windows software, the, the hardware could handle it all. And it was probably easier for those making Windows software to adapt it to a Mac because the processors uh, were the same. The hardware support was similar. Right. But then, then they also had to deal with the, the very different nature of Windows versus OS 10. But still, if, if they had to do something at a hardware level, that was a lot easier to deal with because it, in many ways, it was just the same hardware. So we've come to a point now where you can get a Mac for $900, a MacBook Air. And for all those people who claim that the prices of Macs are not competitive, they're too high, if you look at the performance of any Mac compared to a comparably priced Windows notebook or desktop, 
Apple is still competitive or even better. They're not overpriced. No, I, I don't think they're overpriced at all. No. If, if all you're looking for is basically a throwaway computer, well, then, then a Mac isn't the right thing for you anyhow. And when you find your throwaway computer, sure, you're going to get it for a lot less, but you'll be throwing it away. Let's go back to the history of OS X. So by Snow Leopard 10.6, Apple says this is the last version of Rosetta you're going to have. You don't know this until the next version 10.7 comes out, Lion. And that means if you want to run your PowerPC software, this is the end. You've had your chance. Now it's got to be all Intel software. Starting with 10.7, Apple starts adding tiny little elements from iOS, from the mobile systems. You have natural scrolling where you scroll things in the reverse sequence of the way you did before. So if you're scrolling through a document, you had to change your ways and do it the opposite way or turn off natural scrolling. So suddenly, Apple does a few things like that, like the scroll bars, where people saying, oh my God, Apple is going to merge iOS with OS X. We can't have such things. Of course, that's not going to happen. Right. It's just consistency, that's all. Yeah, And now the scrolling thing, as, as soon as I got to play with the new scrolling, my, my first thought was, finally, it's not backwards. Because... Before, it just felt like it was backwards. I, I'd scroll one way, but the window would move the other. And now, they, what, I, what I did with my fingers on my trackpad, it matched what was happening on the screen. So for me, it was like, finally, scrolling is frontwards, not backwards. And everyone was looking at me like I was crazy because we'd all been trained to scroll backwards from the very beginning with Mac OS 1.0. And, uh, and here we are decades later, and now it's reversed from that. that. That was a really hard transition for a lot of people. I think in some cases, that was more difficult than giving up the PowerPC apps that people had been hanging on to for so long. Well, Apple is so good about telling you, well, you can't do that anymore. You can't have Macs with built-in optical drives. You don't need that anymore. Everything is going to be done in the cloud. And now they're telling you that maybe you should only be wireless with a new MacBook with USB-C. Now, this is not some kind of proprietary Apple standard. This is the industry standard, USB-C. That means Macs and PCs and all sorts of accessories are going to be made. But, you know, I guess we can talk about the MacBook in a little bit. Let's get back to OS X. What's your take here, Jeff, about the complaints that Apple is trying to put too much of iOS into OS X? I, I think that there's a lot of people that are saying that because they're very concerned that at some point we'll have a unified operating system that's just iOS on our computers, and then we won't have the control over our file system that we've been so accustomed to for decades. Uh, and, and I can see where that would be a concern. I don't think that's where, Apple's go, where Apple is going. I think Apple totally gets that the way you use an iPhone or a tablet-type device is not the same way that you use a laptop or desktop computer. They, they have different functions, and you need to interact with them in different ways. So we're not going to see a unified operating system. And, uh, and if you want to see how that works poorly, look at, at what Microsoft has done over the years where they've tried to have one version of Windows that runs on everything. We have Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer with us for two more segments, by the way. I'm Gene Steinberg. 
You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Do good people ever want to call an attorney just to find out if they're right or wrong? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what are you forced to think about first? Money. If you could call as often as you wanted and talk as long as you need without a bill, would you call? Worry less and live more with lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. That's 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call one 800 This alert just came in. This special announcement is for business owners and leaders of organizations who've been waiting for the right time to build. General Steel has made it impossible to wait any longer with rock-bottom prices that could save you thousands. That's right, General Steel, America's leader in pre-engineered structures, is offering buildings at prices you will never see again. Don't miss these prices. A 50 by 100 for $35,000. You heard right, that's 5,000 square feet for $35,000. Manufacturers, if you need a larger building, try a 100 by 100 commercial building for $129,000. You can't afford to rent with these prices. Imagine a 70 by 100 foot church building for under $69,000. With the economy improving and interest rates still at historic lows, you can't afford to wait. So call 866-91-STEEL. Lock in your price now. Call 866-91-STEEL. That's 866-917-8335. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. A little bit later, we'll have Rog Pegarero. He's from USA Today, and he also writes for Yahoo Tech. But right now, we have Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Let me just tell you to go to plus.technightout.com, plus.technightout.com, where we will tell you how to sign up for Tech Night Out Plus, the ad-free version of the show with better quality audio for a modest monthly fee, plus.technightout.com. So we've been talking here a lot about the history of OS X, about the fears on the part of some people that Apple is going to make OS X too much like iOS. But Apple, as evidenced by the new MacBook, is just increasing investments in the Mac. And you don't increase investments in a platform if you're going to discontinue it or cut back on it, do you? No, you don't. And when I look at that new MacBook... Uh, what I see is the uh, the twelve inch iPad Pro that's been rumored for a while. I I think that's actually 
what Apple's working on instead. It's they get that there's a certain point where the screen size is better suited for a computer, uh, a more traditional computer as opposed to a tablet style device. And uh, and and if you look at the way this new MacBook is set up, it sure feels like it it could just as easily have been uh, a big iPad with a keyboard. It, it looks like it's designed to be used without anything connected to it, like an iPad. But it's designed to do more than an iPad. So you have your your full version of OS ten. You have your regular keyboard and trackpad. So you have a full on Mac computer, but with style elements that are more in line with an iPad. So I think if you're looking for convergence, you just saw it. It's not the operating system. It's figuring out how to give you the horsepower of a full-on Macintosh computer in something that's equivalent to a tablet. Now, remember here, too, we have a 12-inch computer, a 12-inch notebook, weighing two pounds. The first and the bigger 9.7-inch iPads weighed only nine ounces less. Yeah, that's crazy. And those had a 9.7-inch screen, not a 12-inch screen. That's right. Now, the other question is here... Does that mean there's not going to be a larger iPad, or is that just another project? You know, maybe eventually we'll see a larger iPad. But I think for now, we'll see 9.7 and 7.9 inch, and that's it. I I think the MacBook sits in that spot between bigger iPad and smaller MacBook Air. Ah, it'd be interesting to see also where development of this goes, because they have one size MacBook. It's not a replacement for the MacBook Air. It's a more mobile design system because you have one port for all the connections other than your earphones. Right, which sounds a lot like an iPad, doesn't it? And there's also that theory that maybe Apple will go to USB-C in the iPad and the iPhone, but then you have to think about all those accessories supporting the lightning connector after all those accessories came out to support the older dock connector. You don't want to have people upset, but Apple doesn't care about that. No, they don't. Apple is more than happy to ruthlessly leave things behind. And sometimes that includes customers. But in the end, it pays off for them because they'll gain new customers and they'll have more customers than than they ever had before. So have you had a chance to look at the new MacBook yet? I've seen one. And uh, wow, I mean, it's a beautiful, sexy machine. It's not something that I expect I'll be buying for myself right away because I'm not sure where it would fit into my workflow. Now, compared to the current models, it's like what happened when the first MacBook Air came out in relation to the existing MacBooks at that time. Oh, yes, totally same reaction. It's so crazy thin. How, how is it possible for it to be that thin? Which is exactly what I said when I saw the first MacBook Air. And that wasn't even solid state. It had a spinning hard drive inside it. Lest we forget. Yeah. Well, and the MacBook Air I ended up buying was after they moved to solid state all the way through. And so that was thinner and lighter than the original MacBook Air. And looking at the new MacBook... It makes the MacBook Air feel more like my 15-inch MacBook Pro. Then, of course, you have this force touch scheme, which is the same technology, by the way, that's being used on the Apple Watch. And they expanded it to encompass a traditional trackpad. Yes, and that 
is just amazing because when you're touching it, you would swear that it's moving like a traditional trackpad does, but it's not. It's just the, the way they send the, the physical feedback through that plate, it totally tricks your brain into thinking that you're getting the old style trackpad motion out of it. I mean, it's fascinating what, they, what they've done with that. And it makes and, it more reliable because you have fewer moving parts. Right. Since you can hook that into other applications, you can now use your trackpad to get uh, uh, haptic feedback based on whatever it is that you're doing. And people that have the new 13-inch MacBook Pro with, with Force Touch trackpad and have uh, iMovie installed, they can experience that today because the current most recent update of iMovie included haptic feedback through the Force Touch trackpad. And Apple didn't even make a big deal of it. No, they didn't even say anything. People found this out just by chance. Of course, it has been publicized that there are APIs in the updated versions of OS X that allow developers to add these capabilities. And when that update comes out, which is 10.10.3, you'll see it. So Apple didn't make it just for themselves. They invested all this time and energy in developing this force touch capability, but now developers will be able to go back and do something with it. And you look at all this stuff, all the technology packed into a MacBook, and now you go back to the Windows PC world, and Mm -hmm. all you've got there is the convertible touchscreens, and you've got thinner and lighter notebooks based on an Intel platform because no individual PC maker was smart enough, evidently, to do it themselves. Well, when you're on that side of the technology camp, I think some things just end up being inherently harder because you have to to do everything towards the lowest common denominator. And, and Microsoft has to do that with Windows because it has to support so many different pieces of hardware. That's a testament to how hard Microsoft's Microsoft's engineers work because they've been able to create an operating system that can be, uh, in many ways, hardware agnostic. That's not something Apple can really do with with OS X because everything that they do is tied... I mean, it's a, it's a very tight relationship between the hardware and the software. But that's one of the things Apple touts as an advantage. Sure, and I agree. It is an advantage. That advantage lets them do the sorts of things that they're, they're doing that people or companies that are making Windows-based PCs in many ways have to just let go because they don't have certain features available to them or they would have to customize what they're doing to a point where maybe it's just not financially viable for them to do that. The MacBook. I'm not going to get one. I think it's too restrictive to my point of view. On the other hand, I can see where technology will develop where a lot more things can be done wirelessly. Sure. Apple is seeing the beginning of a technology here. They're seeing a time here where they're introducing the notebook of the future. And a couple of years from now, we'll never think of wires. You know, Certainly not in the way we do today. I mean, yeah. we already have a rudimentary form of wireless charging where you stick the thing on some kind of plate and it, sure. it charges. But that's not the same thing. How about being able to charge from a distance? Yeah, that uh, that that's really cool. 
And, and of course, there's all kinds of research being done on, on how to make that work. I think the big problem right now from the people I've, I've uh, spoken with is that they need to figure out how to do this so that they're not actually harming our bodies with uh, the, the radio waves that they have to pass through rooms. You don't want to be zapped. Let's zap our way to another segment with Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Quantitative easing, unemployment at depression levels, Europe financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at 11 trillion gold, trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded 16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The 20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a printing press to finance. A hundred years ago, we had a gold standard to limit this madness, but now you have to adopt your own gold standard. Don't be fooled with paper promises. Get Midas Resources 10 Reasons to Buy Gold free by calling 800-686-2237. Understanding the gold and silver market may be the only insurance you could have to avoiding the next economic crisis. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order your free copy. Again, that's 800-686-2237. The freeze-dry guy, leader in the preparedness industry for 44 years, is closing his California warehouse. Don't miss out on this huge warehouse sale and receive discounts from 30 to 40% off on the finest mountain house and packaway brand freeze-dried and dehydrated foods for long-term food storage or even everyday use. Plus deep discounts on all in-stock survival gear. The freeze-dry guy is offering a wide selection of freeze-dried foods in number 10 cans and even individually packaged entrees. Remember, meats, vegetables, fruits, and long-range patrol rations are the main components for any long-term food storage. This is limited to stock on hand, so hurry and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, as always, free shipping to the lower 48 states, so hurry up and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, this is limited to stock on hand. The freeze-dry guy is your choice for survival food in an uncertain world. Pharmacist Ben Fuchs believes virtually all disease states can be backtracked to digestive problems. Deficiencies in stomach acid can affect all downstream systems. Taking digestive enzymes can be amazingly helpful for dealing with deficiencies in stomach acid. Enzymes require low pH for activation. You can also use aloe vera juice, by the way. Sugars in aloe vera have a coating effect on the digestive system. Longevity has a cool product called Noni Plus, which is made from aloe in the noni fruit. It's tasty. It can also function to support digestive acidification, acidification of the stomach, and activation of digestive enzymes. Take pharmacist Ben's advice and support your digestive system by ordering Noni Plus from Longevity. Call 866-735-2470. That's 866-735-2470 or on the web at brightsideben.com. That's brightsideben.com. Order today. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. 
Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. Right. So, therefore, right now, if we have wireless charging from a distance and you get in the line of fire, you might be zapped. Yeah, in, in many ways, it would be akin to being inside a microwave oven. So so it could kind of uh, burn you or cook you in some way. Well, Samsung will introduce it. Oh, perfect. What could possibly go wrong? Right. But you see my point. Also, remember that USB-C is a pretty decent integrated port that has full capability it's almost as fast as Thunderbolt. And that's another question I have here. Do we see the end, ultimately, of Thunderbolt? Not immediately, because the higher-speed Thunderbolts are used for RAID drives and high-end purposes. But eventually, there will be a faster, even faster version of USB-C that will supplant it completely with something that the entire industry will embrace. Of course, every interface connection style has a limited shelf life. And that might be a couple years or it might be a couple decades. It, you know, it just depends. So the whole lightning thunderbolt connection thing, that's going to go away. It's just a matter of, of how quickly. Now, at the pro level, I don't see that going away for a while because there's a lot of, of high-end storage that really needs that kind of sustained throughput that, you, that you're just not going to get off USB-C. Yeah, so we're not going to see our Thunderbolt ports disappearing off of our MacBook Pros or our Mac Pros anytime soon, I think. But at some point, yeah, they'll disappear from, from the iMacs because they won't be needed anymore. And uh, off the Mac Mini, assuming Apple decides that they're going to continue making that computer. And then we already have the MacBook where it's not there. So we're going to have a mixed collection of of ports for a while, which is not anything new for Apple. Apple always gets in the forefront of this. I think there's one PC notebook that has USB-C right now. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Google, their new Pixel something thing, as I recall. It's a Chromebook that three or four people buy. I think they sell a million or two to the educational market and other people or writers for certain tech publications that don't like Apple. But I don't think anybody else buys those things. Yeah, cer- certainly not in the numbers that other computers are being bought. So we have to see. There are a few techniques now to make videos through Twitter, like Meerkat. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with that? Yes. Okay. Now, there was a story on 
one of the TV news networks where they had somebody from Mashable, who's been on the show, by the way, that particular person that they had. In any case, and he was talking about this as the greatest discovery since sliced bread, the ability to tweet a video. And then I read a story in Fortune magazine where they tried to do this at one tech event, I guess for startups or something, or for investors in Silicon Valley. And they said, no, 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 we can't have this kind of thing. It's kind of like Google Glass, where if you have this infinite capability of making videos and publishing them online, what about privacy? And I find that argument to be really weird because we've had this ability for a very long time. I have gone to many trade shows where I'll walk up to someone at, uh, at their booth, one, one of the exhibitors, pull out my iPhone, record a video of them demonstrating their product and me interviewing them, and then I just put it online and then go on to the next booth. Now, this we understand here, though, somebody's demonstrating a product. It's a public demonstration. So if you record that product, that comes with the territory. But if you're having like a private meeting, you're having a meeting in private with people and somebody's recording it, you know, it's like the 47% announcement at one of Mitt Romney's meetings. He didn't expect anyone to record that audio, and they did, and it may have helped cost him the election in 2012. Well, welcome to our new technology world. This is something that we've been able to do for a while. It's just becoming a... A bigger thing in the news again, because I think really because Meerkat came out and it's very easy to snap those uh, those little videos. But there are all kinds of other services that have made that possible for for a long time. Meerkat just happens to be the big name today. And I think in the technology world, people tend to have a short memory. So they forget that we've been able to do stuff like record and go right to Vimeo or right to YouTube for a long time. So how do they get the buzz? How does Meerkat get the buzz? And the thing I worry about when you're doing constant videos like that, your bandwidth cap at your wireless ISP, what's going to happen? Oh, you're going to chew through that. If you're posting lots of videos and you don't have Wi-Fi available to you, sure, you're, you're going to eat through your data cap. And there are going to be a few people that are very unpleasantly surprised when they see that they suddenly have a substantially higher phone bill on a, a few months simply because they've uploaded so many videos. It gets intoxicating. Like I said, you get an application that has a buzz. And I was looking at this when I read the story in Fortune. They mentioned several apps for Twitter that had this capability. So I thought, why is Meerkat? Well, I guess it has kind of a pretty trendy kind of interface. And maybe that's the reason that it's become so popular. It's free, though. I mean, where do they make their money? Well, like a lot of these companies, they're probably not making money today but they they have some capital behind them, then eventually the business model will be they either uh, charge their users for premium services, they add in ads, or they're building up the business that they can sell to someone else. And let the someone else figure out how to monetize it. Right. Yes. I think the other thing that has a lot of people freaked out about Meerkat is that what it's doing differently compared to some of these other video things that that we can use is that it's live streaming as opposed to you record and then upload so there there's a few minute lag between when you record something and when it's available online here what i heard is that the lag is maybe 15 or 30 seconds 
Right. So so it's near real time, but it's also transient. Once once you're done recording, it's gone. So in that sense, you're not even really recording. You're just streaming. So the point being here is that there's no record of it. Whatever you send out there is part, I guess, of your your Twitter timeline. But then does Twitter store the video so anyone who checks your tweets will be able to play it back? No. Uh, th- this is being run completely outside of Twitter's infrastructure. It just happens to to use your Twitter account to send out a tweet for you with the link so people can watch your stream. But they can only watch your stream while it's taking place. After that, there's no way to record it. And maybe that's the way Meerkat can monetize it. They could say, okay, we could set up something maybe in the cloud at our site where we retain it so you can play it back later. We'll have to figure it out. Jeff Gamut, where do we find more of your stuff? Well, you can find me over at MacObserver.com, where I'm writing along with a bunch of other really great uh, tech journalism bloggers. And you can find me on a bunch of podcasts, including the new one I started up, which is Mac Observer's Daily Observations. You can find me on Twitter. I'm Jay Gamut. And then also at FreshBrewedTales.com. And that's where I write about the ridiculous things that I see people do when I go to the coffee shop. With me or Kat? No. Jeff Gamut, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. It's always awesome to be here. Thanks for having me on. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. The freeze-dry guy, leader in the preparedness industry for 44 years, is closing his California warehouse. Don't miss out on this huge warehouse sale and receive discounts from 30 to 40% off on the finest mountain house and pack-away brand freeze-dried and dehydrated foods for long-term food storage or even everyday use. Plus deep discounts on all in-stock survival gear. The freeze-dry guy is offering a wide selection of freeze-dried foods in number 10 cans and even individually packaged entrees. Remember, meats, vegetables, fruits, and long-range patrol rations are the main components for any long-term food storage. This is limited to stock on hand, so hurry and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, as always, free shipping to the lower 48 states. So hurry up and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, this is limited to stock on hand. The freeze-dry guy is your choice for survival food in an uncertain world.
By now, you may have heard a bit about Bitcoins, but did you know Bitcoins are now over an $8.5 billion market? And did you know that over 65,000 businesses now accept Bitcoins? Listen, if you're already earning Bitcoins or trying to make money in the Bitcoin market, you've got to know BidBit.co. Why? Because BidBit.co is where you can easily receive Bitcoins by selling and auctioning off your own personal items or promote business products and services for Bitcoins. You heard right. Whether personal or business, you can now buy, sell, and auction your products and services quickly, easily, and securely for Bitcoin at BidBit.co, the first and only marketplace website to offer BidBit escrow, a proprietary technology which gives buyers and sellers security and peace of mind because all transactions are protected. Start today. It's free to join, free to post, free to auction, and free to bid at BidBit.co. Buy, sell, bid, or auction everything Bitcoin. That's www.bidbit.co. BidBit.co. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows. Pause and rewind live TV. Even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have Rob Pegarero joining us this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. As you know, he writes for USA Today and Yahoo Tech and lots of other places. He keeps himself very busy. Now, I was asking Rob just before we connected whether he had a chance to ever use Apple Pay, and you haven't yet. Nope. Don't own an iPhone 6. Haven't had a chance to play around with it myself. I have bought things with my phone, tried buying a couple things at CVS with my uh, Android phone's copy of Google Wallet and got rejected after they decided to do that little experiment into blocking Apple Pay and every other NFC solution. I've used it to pay for a couple of train fares on the L in Chicago, and uh, I think once at a grocery store. That's about it. Well, I had a chance to add one to an iPhone 6 that I acquired for a very brief period of time. And I won't mention the financial institution because it's one I deal with and I don't want people mm. to start looking. But I'll tell you how the process worked. And it seems like it's reasonably secure, and although I've heard complaints. And most complaints seem to be problems with the banks in verifying your ID. So here's what they did. So when you want to add your credit card or debit card to Apple Pay, you can either have it take a picture of the credit card or enter the information manually. So I opted to have it take a picture and then asks for the CVV or the card verification code, that three-digit number. It's in the back of the card. And American Express, I think it's four digits, right? I'm, it's too rich for my blood, so I don't have an American Express card. But you have to enter that. Okay. It verifies all that. And then there's a second step of verification where it sends you 
a text that you have to enter into the interface. So it either sends it to you on your iPhone or, I don't know, conveys it by some other method. The point being, it has to send you this verification code that you have to enter before it actually adds the card. And then you get an email from your bank saying it's been added. So you know if someone's playing games with you, or you should. So it requires having both sides of the card and a way to confirm the verification with a phone number that's already in the bank's records. Does that sound secure enough to you? It really depends on the uh, the adversary in question. But for routine, your garden variety, your common criminals, uh, considering how easy I'm told it is to buy credit card numbers online at Carter sites, seems it could be secure enough. Well, the point, if the bank is notifying you about it, that you've been added to Apple Pay, if your credit card number has been stolen or your card has been stolen, you should be alerted that second to take action immediately. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you're asking. I know there's been all those stories, and I was a little skeptical. It does seem that there there is a, an opening in the system, and not really one created by Apple per se. I mean, I guess Apple could have said, we'll only accept Apple Pay cards that are already saved on iTunes, but then they'd be holding themselves back. don't know. They're, they're going to have to find a way to deal with it because the, this is an expensive situation the credit card issuers have gotten themselves into. But it's their fault, not Apple. It's up to the credit card issuer to verify well, that you've you added that Apple, card. Apple could have said, we're only going to accept cards if you actually take a picture of it, which would eliminate the workaround of adding a card if you buy the numbers off a Carter site. That's the one suggestion I've seen. I mean, I'll note it is noteworthy that this, I don't, I'm not aware of anyone trying to do this to, to secretly add uh, someone else's card number to a Google wallet account so you can buy for stuff. So Apple's, I guess, gotten the backhanded compliment of making the first NFC system that people think is worth trying to rip off. Well, that's one of those backhanded compliments. I agree with you. Let's move on to other things. Since we've got Google in the crosshairs, I want to ask you about this. I think you and I have talked about this before, that the European Union has asked Google to add this feature where they can forget about you. So if you don't like to being attacked online, they can remove you from Google's records, period, or what? The idea is it's not you get removed. It's that the specific you know, link that you don't like that shows up in a search on your name will no longer be shown in a search for your name. So it's not that you can't find anything about this person at all, because, you know, that's 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 a little bit broad. Uh, and it's not that you can't find the story in question at all either. If you find a way to phrase the search so, so that it doesn't include your name, that has enough other parameters that narrow it down, then that stuff is still going to show up. So it's a way of making it more difficult. So if I live in Europe and I see that Google is saying has a link to something, an article that's negative about me, someone's attacking me, I could just say, kill that link. Is that well as easy you, as it is or does it require more? It's not that easy. You, you can't just say, I don't like this thing, get rid of it. The, uh, the European Court of Justice said a vague standard with a lot of hand-waving, but they said... The linked item in question that you want expunged from search results for your name, it is just saying that it is out of date, irrelevant, you know, that, that there's no question of the public having a right to know. You know, the original case was this uh, fellow in Spain who had had, I guess, his apartment seized to pay some back taxes. And he didn't like the fact that this was showing up when you search for his name, that what showed up was uh, a PDF of uh, a page in a newspaper that, you know, automatically published all the current tax-related transactions. Of course, now if you search for this guy's name, 
wish I could remember it. It's Costeja Gomez or something. Anyways, he's now Mr. Right to be Forgotten. So he's all over Google searches for an entirely different reason. But I guess he, he solved his initial problem. And Google has to sort of then make its own ruling. And they'll decide. And, you know, Google could have said, we're, we're just, you're going to have to get a court order. But they said, well, set up this process. Here's this form. You could submit the link you want not shown when people search for your name. And I think the said so far, there, it's maybe about half of them are going through maybe less than half. And there are a lot of really dubious claims being made. And they, they said, I think the second most popular reason for rejecting a right to be forgotten removal request was the person making the request had written the posting question. They said, uh, no, you know, you wrote that. We can't get rid of it. There are definitely other cases where it's politicians, lawyers, doctors trying to cover up things they've, they've done in the past that were not so good. And those weren't approved either. So you've got to have some kind of probable cause to eliminate it. It just can't be anything. It has to be something that maybe defames you as obviously fake. Yeah, something that's way out of date. The the, the sort of ideal use case, the, the one that, you know, the, the problem this is supposed to solve is, you know, that there's like arrest records from when you were 15 and you lived a good life ever since, and that shouldn't matter, and it shouldn't be shown up. And, and you know what? I'm sympathetic to the issue at hand. If you look at how Google and other search sites have had to deal with mugshot sites, that's a similar sort of thing where, you know, the, with the added thing that mugshot sites where they, they scrape arrest booking photos off uh, public sites and then, you know, SEO search engine optimize the hell out of their site so that their pictures show up really high when someone searches for somebody's name and then they charge the people who show up in the pictures some removal fee that doesn't actually get the picture out of off the web. You know, that's not just embarrassing, but also straight up extortion and fraud. And so Google decided we are, this is scraped content by definition, <laughs> our longstanding principles of what makes a quality web result. We shouldn't be ranking that stuff that high in the first place. And so they, they, they changed the search search algorithm so those mugshot sites get bumped down to the second page of results, which is basically you know the death penalty from Google. Well, what are the chances here of something like that migrating beyond Europe? Because I think a lot of that would apply to the United States as well. Well, yes, but no, because the the privacy laws in the U.S. The, there is no overriding federal privacy law that a court could lean on to say. This is personal information. Google is acting as a data controller. That's the phrase in the in the ECJ opinion. Uh, what could happen? And some folks in Europe have not appreciated the way Google has only done this right to be forgotten filtering on country specific sites. So Google fr or Google de, uh, they're French and German sites. If you search for somebody's name outside of that, it still shows up. If you just go to Google.com, search for the name. The, the unwanted story, the unwanted link will appear then as well. But even then, I find it really hard to imagine that Google is going to start hiding search results shown to Americans in the U.S. They might wind up having to construct some really complicated bit of plumbing where if they see you're coming in from uh, an EU-based IP address, then they'll show you the filtered results. And if not, then you get the whole thing. Let's break for a second. We have Rob Piguerero. Joining us, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Great mind. 
minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs convert from so many formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. The freeze-dry guy, leader in the preparedness industry for 44 years, is closing his California warehouse. Don't miss out on this huge warehouse sale and receive discounts from 30 to 40% off on the finest Mountain House and Packaway brand freeze-dried and dehydrated foods for long-term food storage or even everyday use. Plus deep discounts on all in-stock survival gear. The freeze-dry guy is offering a wide selection of freeze-dried foods in number 10 cans and even individually packaged entrees. Remember, meats, vegetables, fruits, and long-range patrol rations are the main components for any long-term food storage. This is limited to stock on hand, so hurry and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, as always, free shipping to the lower 48 states. So hurry up and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, this is limited to stock on hand. The freeze-dry guy is your choice for survival food in an uncertain world. Ouch! My back is out again! Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's Dr. O-R-T-M-A-N.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, chiropractic done right. I'm Kay Swirling from KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz. I'm 93 years old, and I'm a big fan of Alex Jones because he has the courage to speak his mind more than just about anyone I know. Alex is just as bothered as I am about all the advertising you hear for toxic prescription drugs that make you sicker, not healthy. I prefer to give my body all 90 essential nutrients it needs for life to prevent disease, not compounded. 
My favorite complete supplement is Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Longevity, which I take every day along with EFA Plus and Beyond OsteoFX. I recommend you go online to InfoWarsTeam.com to purchase these products and make them part of your daily regimen to get healthy and live longer. InfoWarsTeam.com What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. So, in a sense, then, if you do this in Europe, is that really going to be able to cover the entire world then? question I'd ask also is right now it's restricted to just residents of Europe. The reason I ask this, my son is a resident of Europe. He's a resident of the country of Spain. And if he said, my father has been attacked viciously, can they therefore remove the record on that basis with some kind of legal precedent? Uh, I don't believe he gets your proxy in that regard. As an EU resident, you don't need to be an EU citizen. So if, the, if there's something that is out of date, irrelevant, no longer relevant, that he doesn't want shown. And uh, as a result, in a search for his name, he could fill out that form and presumably take advantage of that right. I don't know how long you need to stay in the EU to, to get the benefit of that. You know, would a month's vacation in Paris suffice? I have no idea. Oh, well, we could only hope. Speaking right. of Google, Federal Trade Commission investigated them, did nothing, but the record suddenly became public. Was this by accident? Yeah, apparently they uh, they were answering a FOIA request by the Wall Street Journal, and you know they coughed up more than they wanted. Good job they by the journal. They coughed up for, more than they could chew. Right. Okay. And good job by the journal for making that request and then going out and reporting the rest of the story. Yeah, you know they they did this investigation. They found some evidence of misconduct. Uh, you know it was not quite as a clear indication of what they should do about it. It's one thing to say you know this looks like an abuse of power, but then what's the actual harm? Uh, and certainly the whole FTC had the benefit of this report, and they elected not to take action against Google. That there are cases where you know from what I've read, and I haven't read all this or the the entire, I guess. The, the way the report got delivered, something like every other page is redacted. So there, there's Danny Sullivan at Search Engine Land apparently stayed up all night the other night, live tweeting insights he was seeing, reading through this. And he, he said a lot of the best stuff is in the footnotes. So not going to be a quick reading for anyone all around. Yeah, there are some cases where it seems like they were definitely, you know, abusing their, their market power. Uh, and others, it's questionable. A lot of the time, the, the FTC staffs came to the conclusion, well, it's a mix. They're definitely trying to provide a better service to people who go to their site looking for information. But I guess also seeing if they can't uh, use that use that opportunity to set back competitors a little bit. Now, I read just the other day an article about someone who wrote a review on Yelp about some problems with a dog training service, complained about it. And the training service went back and sued him. So what has become of this? It's not the first time it's happened. There's been one or two cases. There was one in Virginia not that long ago. Uh, the people in Yelp are not really happy with that. What they would like to see is more of what, what are called anti-SLAP statutes. SLAP is an abbreviation for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation, which is what happens when companies 
pursue critics trying to, in the hope that, you know, the, just the cost of defending the lawsuit will discourage people from criticizing them in public. Uh, and the idea is with an anti-slap statute, you have a, it's, it's much easier to challenge that and have the suit stayed. So you're, you're not spending, you know, $150 an hour <laughs> trying to avoid getting socked with some huge verdict, some huge um, set of damages. I mean, it's funny when people do that because, you know, the, again, this is sort of like the right to be forgotten. If somebody is saying bad things about you on a site and your response is to sue them, and here I am deciding who do I want to do business with? Well, here's this one company. They had a sketchy review and then they sued the person. That's an interesting way of dealing with your customers. I, I'd have to maybe I want to deal with somebody else who isn't quite so prickly. Well, the thing is here, it's a matter of freedom of speech, isn't it? I mean, well, you yes, have the right no, to I mean, say something within certain limits. And it's not as if the government is saying you can say this or you can't say that. Anti-slap statutes exist because, you know, this sort of lawsuit filed with the idea it's going to be really expensive to defend. Companies can use that to stop people from saying unpleasant or unfriendly things about them in public. But again, yes, it's but not if a you're question. A, if you're a company that deals with the public, as opposed to being a private citizen. You're someone who deals with the public. You make yourself open. That, I think, puts you in a position where you have to accept the good and the bad because you're dealing with the public. I mean, if you can show that someone is doing this maliciously, that there might be a competitor involved, and they're just trying to attack you in public to damage your business, that's one thing I think you'd have a legitimate complaint but just a random customer who doesn't like you, well, that's tough. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's what I would say to anyone in that situation. You know, why, why small businesses think that bringing in the lawyers is going to help their cause in the court of public opinion, that escapes me. It's not something I'd recommend. You know, I, I can't see how that ends well with people thinking better of you as a company. On the other hand, you have to look at the rights of the company. If they're being unfairly criticized, if someone is attacking them who has a vested interest in destroying them personally or, once again, as a competitor, how do they protect their interests? Well, you know, we're talking about Yelp, but in that case, you know, the, their whole thing is they're trying to make sure that the reviews they get are from individual users and, and not, you know, sock puppets of one sort or another. How do you prove that? Well, it's not easy. They've been doing it in a while. They have all sorts of automated screening. You know, you can, you, you can go to any Yelp listing and there's a button somewhere toward the bottom of it, which will show the reviews that were automatically hidden by that software. Uh, and it's something that any kind of site that relies on user-generated content is going to have to deal with. How do you know that people are really who they say they are? On a small scale, it's not bad. Human moderation works. But when you're on the scale of a Yelp or a Foursquare or anything else, you know, it's not so easy. Certainly one way the, these a site like a Yelp or a Foursquare can work to combat this is to give businesses a legitimate way to show up and, and be recognized as, yes, this is really the company and give them a form to address their critics. Since otherwise, before, if people have been complaining about a restaurant in like the local Usenet group, you know, that's not so easy to know it's really the restaurant who's responding. There, there would be no way for the responses to automatic, automatically be given some sort of higher priority. And, you know, it's also like any site that deals with comments. 
you know, at Yahoo Tech, for instance, the way the comment system is set up, when I, as the writer of a story or anybody else who uh, is, a, is a regular at the site, responds to something, we're identified as either, we're either labeled as an editor or, or as a contributor, I forget which, and those responses show up at the top of the comments thread automatically. You know, other news sites, that's not the case. And, you know, you have to sort of see, well, is somebody interacting? When I answer reader questions on uh, the two guides I've done so far for the wire cutter, there's no special badge, you know, on my replies in the thread. But hopefully people recognize that, yes, it's the same name as the byline on the story. Well, that would be helpful if they could make that change. But then that requires extra programming. So you have to see how that happens. Yep. And I think it all gets also to your right of privacy, you know, the right to be forgotten or being attacked online if your business is mentioned in Yelp. And we think of privacy. I'm going to ask you this quickly because I know this wasn't part of the discussion. So we have these, we had Google Glass, for example, where you go into a restaurant, you can take pictures of somebody and you've got these streaming apps like meerkat for twitter where you can go into a restaurant anywhere any public setting and just shoot streaming videos of people so where does privacy get involved here how does that enter the picture uh well first of all i'd say all these things the idea that it is new that you can take a camera or a video camera into a public place and take pictures is not new. We've had camera phones for over 10 years. It's been like 15 years now. Of course. But, so, then, you know, this only puts it in a formalized fashion. Of course, I could, anything, always, I could always come into a restaurant, as you say, and take movies of someone. And if someone catches me, they have a right to say, stop it. I don't give right. you permission. Yeah. I mean, the whole Google Glass privacy threat I thought was overgrown was way overrated because they're so obvious and they call attention so much. Whereas if somebody holds up a phone, who knows what they're doing? There's a number of ways you could get video surreptitiously. And, you know, of course, what if you're doing this um, at in a casino in Vegas? Well, then the cameras on that people are carrying around are far outnumbered by the cameras in the ceiling <laughs> trained on everybody else there. So, yeah, that, you know, we've, we've been walking around with cameras in devices we carry in our pockets every day for quite a few years now and the republic still seems to be standing i think we've sort of figured out you know how to deal with that sort of thing time let's deal with this sort of thing we have rob pegarero here i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night how live independently leading the way for the nation compelling talk for every political persuasion, we are GCN. By now, you heard about Bitcoins. But did you know that over 65,000 businesses accept Bitcoins? Listen, if you're already earning Bitcoins or trying to make money in the Bitcoin market, you've got to know BidBit.co. Because at BidBit.co, you can receive Bitcoin by selling your personal items or business products. You heard right. Whether personal or business, you can now buy, sell, and auction your products quickly, easily, and securely at BidBit.co. That's B-I-D-B-I-T.co. BidBit.co. We the people 
staple grow cotton weave fabric engrave ink embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carding to a private bank having it lent back at interest forcing taxes to service debt this capitalism or was jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army ted anderson i'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system call for your copy 800-686-2237 it's time to understand the system call 800-686-2237 that's 800-686-2237 Most people know that drinking pure high alkaline pH water is the most important factor in maintaining high energy and vibrant health. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to make your water alkaline to help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy level. Alkalizing water helps your body rid itself of acidic waste and increases the oxygen content of your body. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, and cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776 today. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So it's so much about privacy on the internet. We're talking with Rob Pegarero of USA Today and Yahoo Tech and other places. And this all goes around to everyone's right to be private and everyone's right not to be unfairly attacked online. I guess if you're a public figure, though, it goes with the territory. I know that, what's her name? Monica Lewinsky. Yes, her. She's been right now pushing for ways to protect people about being unfairly attacked. I haven't watched her TED Talk yet, but I need to do that. And then Ashley Judd. Famous actress. Yep. You know, she was commenting about a team that she preferred. Okay? Sporting event. And people were not just attacking her point of view, but they were actually becoming really, really insulting. Not just sexist, but really insulting against this woman. And what's the point? But this has always been part and parcel of the internet, flaming. From the very first days, you had people who had nothing better to do but behind anonymous names attack other people. I ran into one of them at Usenet back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I said, yep. "And I said, what's this all about? And he says, well, I'm flaming you. You flame me, I flame you. And I said, I'm not playing that game. And that freaked this person out. Yep. I don't know. There's something about, there's some subset, let's be real, what's going on, some subset of the male population on the internet that seems to think the appropriate way when a woman speaks her mind about some area where she's not supposed to have expertise is to indulge in the most hateful, sexist garbage imaginable. And that part of internet culture needs to die. And so I'm all for people calling them out because a lot of the time people do this and they think that they can't be identified by where they work or who they are. Well, you know what? It's not that hard. So yeah, you know, I, I wish in general that people would argue more effectively online and remember that you have an audience who is not impressed by frothing at the mouth, spittle-flecked 
anger in general, but especially not when it's it's this sexist torrent of hate. And I wish you knew why things were like that, but it's got to stop. It can be a dangerous world out there, unfortunately. And part of it is they are empowered by being at least superficially anonymous. You think you give yourself a name online, nobody's going to find out who you are. Well, just imagine you sign up with a forum on a site and you start attacking people. Now, that forum owner or moderator may find your IP number and can go back to your ISP and you can contact your ISP and with the proper conditions, maybe a legal letter, they'll let that person know who you are. Yep. You know, I run forums. I know how this works. And I've had to do a little research from time to time when people get out of sorts. Let's move on to some more pleasant things. I mean, yes, that's preposterous. Okay. So you and I have talked about net neutrality for quite some time. The FCC published its rules, moving ISPs into Title II. Predictably, they're being sued by ISPs. So what's the claim? Well, the whole idea that the FCC is over is, is overreaching. It doesn't have legal justification. But, you know, I don't think it's going to work so well here because the FCC is relying on authority it's always had that it exercised on every broadband ISP in America until 2002 and until 2005, and until 2005 applied to phone-based broadband. So how you can say that what worked 10 years ago when the underlying law itself has not been changed is no longer relevant? You know, I'm not a lawyer, but the lawyers I've talked to, the ones who are not, you know, totally invested in saying net neutrality regulations are awful, they think the FCC is a strong case. It's not so clear whether the FCC can override state restrictions on municipal broadband, which was the other part of the uh, the meeting at the end of February, where they, they struck down some restrictions on that in Tennessee and North Carolina. That is not so clear. And I've talked to people who are very pro-net neutrality regulation who are not sure the FCC is going to win that case. You know, it may be a situation where the FCC has been able to bring attention to the fact that a lot of states have these laws preventing municipalities from either building their own broadband or selling that connection to individuals or selling it at a rate that in any way undercuts an existing broadband service. Maybe the FCC will bring light to the fact that states passed these laws that were basically written for them by telecom lobbyists and that these laws are crummy and should be repealed. But, you know, try pushing change through a state legislature sometime. Well, remember also that the reason the FCC had to make this move was because Verizon sued the previous ruling. And didn't the courts say that they had to, they suggested they move ISPs in the title too? Wasn't that part of the yeah, court's suggestion? Read- so the FCC is doing what the court suggested. You can't complain. Right. Yeah. Ruling from last January is very clear. You know, it said if you want to regulate ISPs as if they're common carriers, you have to classify them as common carriers first under Title II, period. You can't do that under, you know, this information services classification. They have to be telecommunication services. And really, Verizon should have seen this coming. It's sort of good for them that they have been kind of quiet on this point because, you know, if if the rest of the telecom industry wants to blame anybody for bringing things to this state, it's Verizon, So Verizon got what they asked for. (laughs) Maybe they got what they deserved. (laughs) I don't quite think they were asking for that. But yeah, they they kept on not taking yes for an answer. And so now they're going to get no for an answer. The can of worms scenario. Yeah. There you go. Now, when we look at net neutrality, there's a lot of politics over, not just the specifics like, you know, controlling municipal broadband and the rights for that. 
But you have the argument that, number one, there are going to be new internet taxes, and that can cover several different arguments. The other argument that this is the end of the free internet as we know it. Nonsense. And the question about free internet is, who is free? Are the people free not to be penalized by an ISP arbitrarily controlling the speed of the content they want? And what about the tax issue? What's that all about? Straw man. I mean, the FCC said, look, we, we, are, we are forbearing all the rules that call for contributions to the Universal Service Fund that, that do add taxes to your phone bill. And, you know, you could say, well, what if the FCC changes, changes its mind? Sure. What if Bernie Sanders gets elected president in 2016 and then the FCC nationalizes Comcast? What if Ted Cruz gets elected president and the FCC says, we're done and just closes up shop? You know, you can say all sorts of things are possible. Uh, on the other hand, if the FCC did do something like, like deciding that we're going to put a $5 a month levy on everyone's internet fee to build our broadband, Congress could overrule that. The FCC is a regulatory agency. It, it acts subject to authorization from Congress. Congress says, go and do this. Go ensure that telecommunication services across the U.S. are run on an equal access common carrier basis. It has to write rules doing that. And, you know, if Congress doesn't want to do that, they can, I mean, there are bills afoot right now that would try to pull the FCC all the way back in. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. I don't think the Democrats are interested in undoing this achievement. And the president certainly isn't going to sign any such bill. But the option is there. And if the FCC really did have some crazy power grab, I'd have to imagine that much of the Democratic Party would not want to go along for that ride and say, would say, OK, that's enough. People arguing against this by offering this parade of horribles. No, that's just silly. You're making predictions that are very easily going to be falsified. And when people see you were yelling and screaming about things that didn't happen, there goes your credibility among people who might have been convinced by you earlier. I know when I did a couple of brief reports about net neutrality, I received email from readers of com where they were repeating these talking points that they got from certain cable TV network commentators and talk radio commentators that had nothing to do with the reality. Part of it is that the belief is not what the fear-mongering is. The belief is the government shouldn't even be in business. Let's just get rid of the government. In service of that belief, they'll make up stories. Yeah. I mean, my favorite is the whole regulate the internet line. First of all, there's nothing in the FCC's order about regulating what you or I can do on the internet. This is strictly about what the internet providers, the one or two companies in, in many parts of America that provide broadband access, can do to limit your access to the internet. If, if that is bad, you know, at what level of regulation of conduct would you think is okay? Is it okay if, you're, if your ISP arbitrarily says, you have to use your email, we're going to block access to mail.yahoo.com and gmail.com and their, their IMAP and SMTP servers? Are you okay yeah. with that? Oh, yeah, or, yeah. Like AOL in the old days where you can only use AOL mail on AOL. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we have Rob Pegarero for a few more segments of the Tech Night Out Live. Mike Stennerson from Midas Resources. At no time in history have precious metals been more important, certainly not in my 22 years in the industry. The dollar has lost over 90% of its value in the last 60 years. No fiat currency has ever survived the government printing presses. Ours is not immune. 
The time is now to be proactive. 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Anything tied to the dollar is at risk. CDs, annuities, 401ks, IRAs, stocks, bonds, you name it. So decide. Do you want to leave a legacy of wealth or debt for your family? The choice is yours. Call me at 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. Be proactive, not reactive. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 116. The freeze-dry guy, leader in the preparedness industry for 44 years, is closing his California warehouse. Don't miss out on this huge warehouse sale and receive discounts from 30 to 40% off on the finest Mountain House and Packaway brand freeze-dried and dehydrated foods for long-term food storage or even everyday use. Plus deep discounts on all in-stock survival gear. The Freeze-Dry Guy is offering a wide selection of freeze-dried foods in number 10 cans and even individually packaged entrees. Remember, meats, vegetables, fruits, and long-range patrol rations are the main components for any long-term food storage. This is limited to stock on hand, so hurry and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, as always, free shipping to the lower 48 states, so hurry up and call 866-404-3663 or 530-798-4414. Remember, this is limited to stock on hand. The freeze-dry guy is your choice for survival food in an uncertain world. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV The human body is extraordinary. Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB extract paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of HB extract. It's extremely effective and it starts working in just days. Visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers. And we've never increased our price in over 10 years. That makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. 
If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. Just want to let you know, folks, that we have a special premium version of the show at Tech Night Owl Plus. Tech Night Owl Plus, you go to plus.technightowl.com, plus.technightowl.com. What does this mean? Well, for those of you who don't like to hear commercials, we kill the network ads. We give you a higher quality audio for a modest monthly fee, plus.technightowl.com. Check it out. Rob Pegarello is here, and Rob is talking about net neutrality, about the fear-mongering and all that. But right now, the law, the regulations in the FCC are contained in a 400-page document. If you go to the FCC site, you can see it for yourself. You know, don't assume what people say is true. Read it for yourself. Make your decision. And all things being equal, if the courts don't stop it, it goes into effect this summer, right? Yep. Yeah. The, the whole thing, and the one other point I was, I was about to make before the commercial break is, you know, if, if you don't like any sort of regulation of what happens on the Internet, why have you not been demanding repeal of the Can-Spam Act or all the other regulations that govern things like, you know, how a site protects the information of minors? If you want the, the Internet to be this libertarian paradise, why have you been on the sidelines for all these years? And only now you're, you know, grabbing the pitchforks and the torches. And this is only about whether the ISP can sell a fast lane to people who have the money to give you better service, to throttle the service of anyone they want because they think they're using too much of it. If they don't like your web server, you have a web server somewhere and they don't like it, they'll slow it down. You don't want that. That's what it's about. It's about traffic control. Can, other than normal traffic considerations, can they selectively control the traffic of legal internet services to your computer. Precisely. I'm saying they can't do that. They just have to let everything be equal. Obviously, if there's illegalities involved, that's another question. But otherwise, legal traffic, leave it alone. That's what it means. Legal traffic, leave it alone. But you have to look at all these other regulations. Can Spam Act, for example, do not call registry, where supposedly telemarketers can't call you. They still do. But telemarketers can't call you yes. if you're on the list. If you are going to call people cold calls for selling your business or service or product, you buy a mailing list, you've got to make sure it's cleansed and that the people who deliberately said, I don't want to be called, are serviced, that you don't call them. Now, it's one thing if you're a legitimate customer of a company. Even then, you can tell the company, don't call me anymore. You yep. Know? So do you want those things to be stopped? I don't think so. If you don't want regulation on the internet, you better be consistent about it if you're going to be that dead set against it. Because all this is, net neutrality, is traffic control. And they're saying that the ISP can't do it, except for, you know, to deal with congestion on their network or illegal traffic. Otherwise, no. It's the free internet. This is what the founders of the internet envisioned. Leave it well enough alone. Let's move to some other subjects. You and I talked about Sling TV. Yes. Some weeks back. Now it's active. Sling TV, a low-cost streaming service from Dish Network. A subset of channels like getting something less than basic satellite service 
for a monthly fee. I mean less than the cheapest fee at Dish Network because you can get a $20 a month fee for like the first year. And that's like yeah. $35.99 or something like that. And you get a subset of stations. Now there's a report that Apple's doing it. But the report about Apple is really six years old because they've been saying this for five or six years, that Apple will get into a subscription TV service. Should we take that seriously now? I think so, because other people are doing it. Like the networks, the people who own the content and the programs, they're definitely willing to sign these deals. And it's not just Sling TV. All those things has got a great lineup and it's gotten better. I think just uh, yeah, just a few days ago, they, uh, the A&E channels got added to the, the core programming lineup, the $20 a month deal. There's PlayStation View, VUE, which is more of a full-fledged cable replacement, although it's I guess you don't get your local channels everywhere. It's only where they've got the right deal signed. So, you know, in HBO, they're signing their stuff directly, and they're, they're launching the HBO Now service first on the Apple TV. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's possible now where it wasn't before. The other thing is, of course, so much of the, the Apple TV speculation involved, is Apple going to make a TV that works with you know every cable and satellite company in America? The answer is no, because every cable and satellite company, and not even you know maybe the top four, are going to let Apple dictate the interface. We've discussed that before. But will Apple have some sort of bundle of services at 20 bucks a month or 30 or whatever it is, like Sling TV? I would not bet against that. If anything, they're going to have to have it, because if they don't, people will buy devices that compete with the Apple TV, like a Roku box, that do have Sling TV. So Apple's choice would be to offer Sling TV or offer their own. When I read about these cord-cutting services, what bothers me is they're not really giving me anything better than what I can get from Dish Network or DirecTV or Cox or Comcast, wherever you live. You know, they all offer a basic, cheap service with a subset of stations for a low cost per month, sometimes bundled with internet, and they give you local stations. So I can understand Netflix because I can see House of Cards or I can see Daredevil next month or all the exclusive shows. Orange is the new black. Amazon Instant TV offering me exclusive content. I can't get anywhere else. If I want that content, I go to them. But offering the same stations I can get from cable and satellite, just smaller packages and streamed online, by the way, I still can't see it. What's wrong with me? Two things you're missing here. One is, you know, the the price you pay for cable or satellite is never just the programming price. There's always a fee to actually rent whatever tuner or device gets that signal onto your TV. This is I covered in my USA Today column the other week. Uh, it used to be most cable operators, I guess they all had to provide your local channels in an unencrypted format that the QAM, QAM tuner in most HDTVs would pick up and decode automatically. Now a lot of them encrypt their stuff, and so that doesn't work. Best case scenario in those situations is you're paying maybe two bucks a month for a, a simple digital terminal adapter. Very simple low-end box that doesn't have the the interactive programming guide or video on demand. Worst case is you have to pay for the full-fledged cable box you would you would want if you have we're getting like a hundred channels and you needed that interactive guide. So with something like Sling TV or this hypothetical Apple thing, there's no ongoing cost to keep the equipment under the TV. You buy the Apple TV or the Roku box once and that's it. Your hardware costs are done except for whatever it costs them. Normally you pay like seven to ten dollars for the box. Yeah. Or 50% of the price of Sling TV's core bundle. No, we understand that. But that gives you the capability of time shifting. Sling TV doesn't let you time shift yet. 
Depends. You can't actually. record it. And then there's the Sony service, which is what, forty or fifty dollars, and that only lets you save a show for twenty eight days. And still no local stations. Yes, but no. First of all, remember a lot of people just don't like their cable or satellite company. The the company that's been jacking up their rates year after year after year. We understand so. you hate them and we understand why. Let's get into more of this in a moment with Rob Pegarero. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. If the IRS has garnished your paycheck or seized money from your bank account, you need to get professional tax help now. Fast action is required to put a halt to these aggressive IRS collection tactics. You can count on the knowledgeable team of tax professionals at Wall & Associates. With over 30 years of experience, Wall & Associates has settled the tax problems of thousands of taxpayers for a small fraction of what they owed. For a free face-to-face consultation, call 1-800-425-4610 to put a wall between you and the IRS. 1-800-425-4610 or look for us on the web at wallandassociates.net. We solve tax problems. If you hire Walland Associates today, you'll never have to talk to the IRS again. To stop the levies and seizures today, take action now. Call Walland Associates at 1-800-425-4610. Wall and Associates. 1-800-425-4610. Based on actual cases, results may vary. Not a solicitation for legal services. The human body is extraordinary. Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB extract paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of hb extract it's extremely effective and it starts working in just days visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers and we've never increased our price in over 10 years that makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it a healthy heart is a happy heart call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? 
Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We're talking about court cutting and these new limited package online streaming services from Dish Network, possibly forthcoming from Apple, where you'll be able to subscribe to a number of stations at a low price. You won't need to rent the DVR. Now, if you don't like your local stations, you make a point. If you don't care about your local stations, that's fine. If you do care about your local stations, you got to set up the antenna. Right. And if you live in an area where you can't get decent reception, And I live at the fringe right now. I'd have to put out an outdoor antenna to receive Phoenix stations because I tried with a regular digital TV antenna indoors and it was hit or miss. I'm not that far out in the boondocks. See that? You see the point of my concern here? If you want the local stations, it may not make sense to get a Sling TV, even if you're saving the $10 a month for not having to rent the cable box. But that's the thing. Not everyone has the same interest. A lot of people, you know, they're not that attached to the local stations. It's, you know, the whole idea behind cable bundles is that there's some sort of defined nationwide taste. We all have to have the big four networks. You know, we, we need to have these things in our lives. This, you know, we must have this many sports channels. And while Sling TV is still a bundle, it is much more pared down. And there, there are these add-ons you can pay five bucks a month for. And the nice thing is you can turn them on and off. Like one of the, they have one add-on, but it includes a channel called True TV, which I'd never heard of until like three weeks ago. Turns out True TV is carrying some uh, March Madness games. So I use that to watch Georgetown's uh, first game, which we won. Then we lost in the second round and once again went home early. Never mind that. Uh, so, you know, if you wanted, you could pay for that bundle with True TV until March Madness is done, then get rid of it. Doing that kind of change is not so easy when you're on, when you're on a two-year contract with your cable company. And when there, there aren't that many bundles at all, it, there's the really limited one that's your local channels and, and nothing else. If you want something with ESPN, suddenly you're up to like $40 range. Uh, and if you want certain other things, then you got to get this other bundle with another 50 channels and you're paying 50 bucks and on and on. Now, the thing I see here is that by a company like Dish Network running into this, they're trying to grab business everywhere it is. So they see people are going to leave the service because they don't want these massive bundles. We'll give them a service that's slimmed down. That's the way to grab customers. We're diversifying. Would that also force the cable and satellite providers to say, okay, how about we offer 
some level of a la carte pricing. Those who don't want the 400 stations, never going to pay for it. They'll consider leaving us. Maybe we give them a column A, column B, column C, whatever. Give them any 26 channels you want that are not premium channels. You know, choose it, pay a specific amount per month for that number of channels, whatever you want. Stay with us, please. I would like to see that happen. Uh, the cable industry has spent so long saying that, you know, this is how things have to be. And now you have compelling evidence that, no, they don't have to be that way. And I don't, I don't think they're going to offer a la carte anytime soon. I think in a lot of cases, they're, they're, the existing carriage deals they have with networks prevent that sort of thing. But they should have some kind of room to offer a more varied set of bundles. So they're just having this sort of like nesting doll set of bundles. But the only way to go is, is to add more channels. You can't just have this bundle of 20 channels and you combine with this bundle of 20 other channels or this bundle of 10 other channels. They could offer a little more choice that way. And then they're going to have to because that is the pricing strat, the pricing model Sling is throwing out there, which is a good one. I think it makes sense. You know, your, your odds of paying for stuff you don't like, they're a lot lower in this situation. So in that sense, more granular packages. Instead of offering four yep. or five big packages, you offer 10 or 15. You know, more choices for people to get something more optimized for what they want with limited customizations. Maybe that's part of it. I guess, though, the marketplace is going to force that decision. It's yeah. already made Dish Network with flattened new memberships choose an answer. So Sling TV is their way to stay relevant. And you'd think that other cable and satellite providers might be forced into this. And certainly Apple would force them. If Apple does something where they're offering a better way to get a variety of stations that only you want for a really low price, that's going to force the cable and satellite providers to take notice, except for the bandwidth cap. <laughs> right. Yes, that's that's a whole different issue. And a service like Sling TV, actually, I think is not going to be that much of a hit on bandwidth because it's one account per device. So you can't use the same Sling TV account to watch upstairs and downstairs. And also, you know, the most I've seen it use is, I think, three megabits per second. So like Netflix can you definitely, that can run up to five easily. And because it is better quality, you know, Sling TV, it's, it's, Close to HD. I'm not going to say it's always HD. Kind of depends on what kind of content is being sent over as well. So you have to accept no local stations lower than HD quality. You know, there are sacrifices here. Right. There are downsides. You have to accept that maybe the quality of the picture is a little bit worse, a little bit noisier, and maybe it doesn't look that much different from 10 feet away or you don't care. You're saving money. You're getting all these this, other benefits. That's sort that's of exactly the discussion that went on in the comments on my Sling TV review, where somebody said, "Well, yeah, but I have five TVs and I want all these things," and everyone said, "Then buy cable. That's for you. We don't all have your tastes. We don't watch that much TV. We're willing to make compromises for the sake of not having this line item in our budget that keeps going up and up and up." And younger people starting out, or just coming back from some kind of adversity, you only have one or two sets. Right. You have the one set. You're only watching one set at a time, which is the key. And then you can afford to try these alternatives because TV will never get simple again. You're yeah. going to have more choices. 
But how does Apple resolve that? And that gets to another question here. So Apple's subscription TV, I guess, would be one would think something like a sling TV in the sense that you have a subset of stations from the major networks, maybe not NBC at the start, so you don't get USA Network or Sci-Fi Channel or something, but maybe eventually Comcast comes to the table, they see money. They come to the table, like the entertainment industry, you know, wants to get as much business as they can. So they come to the table because they're going to have, what, an app for Apple TV. But how does Apple overhaul the living room experience? All I'm seeing is something that's an alternative, not necessarily better. Well, you know, work on the interface. The, there are some cable boxes that have a, a decent UI. People seem to like Comcast's X1 interface a lot. Uh, I cannot say the same for the uh, garbage UI of uh, my mom's Cablevision uh, cable box. That's not something anyone would really hold up as an example of a good user experience. Um, I don't know. Like, there's a whole lot of stuff Apple needs to do in the meantime, like the Apple TV interface itself, as we've discussed before, that has not scaled well. You know, it's one thing where you have just a flat list of icons when there's only 10 choices or 15. How many channels are on the Apple TV now? 30? I mean... It's more than 30. Yeah. It's added CNN the other day and two or three others. I can't keep track of this stuff anymore. Okay, so you raise a point here. This is the thing that I worry about myself, and I've expressed that, which is that when these streamers have more channels, and Roku has to have that problem now, it gets to be very complicated. So that's the area where you have to overhaul things, because maybe you will subscribe to Apple's TV service, but then you'll have Netflix, and you'll go into iTunes, and it'll be integrated with iTunes. We understand that. And maybe you want something else in addition to that. One of the other channels that they have available, as soon as you have... 5, 10, 15 different services, each of which has its own interface, you can drive people absolutely nuts keeping up with it. If Apple yep. finds a way to integrate that, to smooth it out, to overhaul it, that's going to be one thing. But there's also another fly in the ointment about the TV interfaces I'll mention to Rob in our next segment on the Tech Night Out Live. <music> independent-minded the genesis communications network gcn neighbors are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider well check out a2 hosting and their screaming fast swift server platform they even have ssds that load pages 300 percent faster than the competition ready to give your site a speed boost well Tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24 7 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. 
Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The human body is extraordinary. Despite all the stresses we inflict upon it, it still works hard to stay in balance. Thousands upon thousands of people rely upon heart and body extract to help their body stay balanced. This excellent 100% natural herbal formula helps maintain healthy blood pressure levels, cleans arteries, promotes good circulation, balances cholesterol, and more. HB extract, paired with healthy lifestyle choices like good nutrition and exercise, can give you a life free of pain, sickness, and fear. Recapture your youthful vitality and experience your body healing itself with the aid of HB extract. It's extremely effective and it starts working in just days. Visit hbextract.com to learn more and to read scores of testimonials from satisfied customers. And we've never increased our price in over 10 years. That makes heart and body extract as great a value now as it was the first day we sold it. A healthy heart is a happy heart. Call 866-295-5305 or go to hbextract.com. If the IRS has garnished your paycheck or seized money from your bank account, you need to get professional tax help now. Fast action is required to put a halt to these aggressive IRS collection tactics. You can count on the knowledgeable team of tax professionals at Walland Associates. With over 30 years of experience, Walland Associates has settled the tax problems of thousands of taxpayers for a small fraction of what they owed. For a free face-to-face consultation, call 1-800-425-4610 to put a wall between you and the IRS. 1-800-425-4610 or look for us on the web at wallandassociates.net. We solve tax problems. If you hire Walland Associates today, you'll never have to talk to the IRS again. To stop the levies and seizures today, take action now. Call Walland Associates at 1-800-425-4610. Walland Associates. 1-800-425-4610. Based on actual cases, results may vary. Not a solicitation for legal services. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Our last segment with Rob Pegarero on the Tech Night Owl live. I'm Gene Steinberg. The big fly in the ointment, let's get past bandwidth caps from the ISPs. Hopefully there'll be ways to deal with that. Let's get past the channel clutter like that. And that is, you buy the Apple TV or the Roku TV, it's another gadget that you have to go through a couple of hoops to go to that gadget. Because people don't have just one gadget on their TV. They might have still the Blu-ray player and the gaming console on the Apple TV. 
or maybe they still have the cable box. And now you have to switch between one and the other. Do you take multiple remotes? Do you have a universal remote? That universal remote has to be pointed just right to capture all the devices picking up the signal. I mean, you see what I'm talking about here. Just switching from one service to another, as much as Apple might want you to have just one, that's still something that isn't resolved. That's still something that's not reliable as confusing. My wife constantly asks me, because I know how to aim it. Gee, I want to go back to the TV set from watching something in Blu-ray, an exercise video. You do it so I don't miss something. <laughs> yeah, if, if the electronics industry had paid more attention to easing the experience of changing inputs on TVs, yeah, that's something where a lot more effort should have been put into it over the last you know, 10, 20 years of TV development. I think for a lot of people... You know, they're not going to have that many devices plugged in. You know, if, if you have Sling TV, then I don't know. You certainly don't need cable on that TV anymore. Sling TV can replace much of what you need from cable, but it, it's not going to give you anything you can't already get from cable. So, you know, then, then you're looking at switching between Sling TV, the other applications you have, maybe an over-the-air antenna and a Blu-ray player. It's a mess. You know, you, you see some TVs that do a better job of this. Um, you know, if the TV has apps for all these services built in, then you don't need an extra box and it's remote. You can just select them off the TV's menu. And I know that's the case. I think Sling TV is now on some Samsung sets. Maybe it's LG. They're all sort of moving in that way. But, you know, then it does very much matter. Are you using the right TV? Is it the right make and model? Did you buy it in the right year? You know, my, mine is too old to get a Sling TV app. Well, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I think we've, we've sort of figured out the workflow in our living room, but we try to keep things somewhat simple. And one way is not having cable or satellite. Well, I have a Vizio TV and they link to Yahoo for TV apps, but I could never get Netflix or Amazon instant video to work on it. It doesn't matter because I have Netflix on my Apple TV and Amazon instant video. I have on my Vizio Blu-ray player where it does work but I don't care about it. I care about Netflix. But I'm not going to buy a new TV set just for that. It's a perfectly good TV. Why should I buy a new set? You have to get your TV workflow figured out. And can Apple provide that answer? Because just having an Apple... Apple's not going to make a TV. We've had this discussion before. They're not going to make a TV. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the interface. Some way of managing all this. Maybe something integrated with HomeKit where they can yeah. put add-ons or something or find some way to integrate all your TV devices. Because I agree with you, I don't think Apple's going to come out with a TV set. I think that what Steve Jobs said in the Walter Isaacson book was a red herring. He might have been trying to just spook the industry because you see what happens anytime yeah. it's rumored that Apple's going to do something, they all go completely crazy. Like Lenovo was displaying mm -hmm. a smart TV for sale in Asia one year, I forget which one, 2011 or 2012, and that disappeared. You look it up now, you can't see anything about it. So Apple freaks the industry. But Tim Cook still says, well, you know, I go into the living room and it's, it's old-fashioned, it's bad. Apple can't solve that just by having their own subscription service. They've got to be doing something more. Yeah, don't know. We can speculate all we want. Maybe this will happen, maybe it won't. I will say that these days I'm more concerned about Apple software than its hardware. And so 
you know, let's see him do something about the Apple TV's current interface before they take on any broader horizons. I would think the next Apple TV would have a more efficient interface. I would hope they have something innovative. I mean, Apple hasn't given up on spending money for lots of things. I mean, the force touch feature of the new MacBook Pro with yeah. the display, the 13-inch version, also the new Slim Slim, did I say Slim MacBook? That's a right. lot of money of research going into something where there are no physical buttons. But you think there's a physical button that if you press it harder, it does more things. You know, kind of like Apple Watch, which is influencing technology. So I still think that Apple has something, but right now it's clear that cutting $30 off the price of Apple TV is a holding pattern. Yes, yes. Make people not feel so bad if they do introduce some upgraded version in three months. If you buy the upgraded version, well, you only spent $69 on that one. Or maybe Apple will offer as a downloadable update some kind of refined interface. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. Would you subscribe to an Apple TV service? Show me what the price is like. You know, so far I've, I've held back from buying an Apple TV in part because, yeah, it's it's been in this weird, unevolved state the selection is so arbitrary. I mean, the Apple TV is about the only internet-connected media player device that doesn't have a Pandora app. That's just bizarre to me. Um, you know, they're, they're able to, the ability to play stuff off my iTunes library, that'd be nice. Um, but I don't know that this thing would be able to replace all the other, you know, video playback chores and sources we have. Like, for instance, no Amazon on the Apple TV. We're, we've actually gotten pretty fond of that uh, the series betas on Amazon. So yeah. And the thing is, I'm sure the Apple TV service will not be available on other devices. What I don't want to get into is a situation where, you know, I have this little, like, it's like the TV has this little flock of, of children around it in the form of all these different streaming media players needed because they can't all connect to the same services. That, that would not be, that would be less of an upgrade than what it could be. And we have about a minute left for this discussion, but then think about the cost of the cord cutting, whether it's worth it. So a $20 a month service, fine. Then you add $8.99 for Netflix. Wait, I want Amazon Instant Video. Do I pay $99 a year for Amazon Prime so I can get two-day shipping on lots of products? Nah, and wait a minute, $15 for HBO. Oh, Showtime has one too. I want to watch something on Showtime. Another $15? Yeah, this can add pretty quickly. Yes, but no, but now everyone wants all those things. And again, it's also, you know, are you doing business with companies you like? Um, you know, that, that don't say, no, you, you must buy things according to this all-in-one plan, you know, as, as if that, that pretends that we haven't gone in the other direction. You know, if the cable industry, if, if the multi-channel industry ran the music business, we'd have no iTunes store because we'd still be buying stuff by the CD or on vinyl. Or the, if you could buy it digitally, you'd have to buy the whole album, not just the one song. So will Apple disrupt the TV industry? You say about dealing with companies you don't like. Well, if I didn't deal with companies that I do not like, I wouldn't deal with too many companies. <laughs> Rob Peguerero, please tell our listeners where we can find more of your stuff. I'm at Yahoo Tech, yahoo.com slash tech, usatoday.com. Uh, you can also find me at robpegarero.com. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at Rob Pegarero. You can find us on Twitter also. We're Tech Night Owl. Tech Night Owl on Twitter. Also go to technightowl.com. 
where you can find our web portal and links to all the other things that we have going on. Like we have plus.technightowl.com, P-L-U-S.technightowl.com, where you can join our Tech Night Owl Plus subscription service for $5 a month, $50 a year, $175 for five years, where you can find the ad-free version of our show with a higher resolution copy, plus.technightowl.com. And we have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night called The Paracast. This week, we'll be featuring a fellow named James Carrion, who says some of these strange events involving UFO sightings in history were really intelligence-related activities. So how about that? Find out more at Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. It has nothing to do with whether the NSA is listening to the show. Rob Guerrero, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. You're welcome. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.